um, wanted to say just about those small groups. And if you are new or maybe this is first time coming or you haven't been through one of our small group cycles, we call it a blitz. And it's, it's pretty blitzy, but not all that blitzy. And the whole point is we, it's just to get you excited about getting involved in one of our small groups. We're going to have a menu. We're going to tell you all that's going on and who's going to be meeting. And uh, we're launching in this first quarter uh, kind of a uh, working with the whole this new series. So it's going to be a lot of comprehensive, pull it all together stuff. And I'm really excited. I wish I could start talking about it now, but I can't. We've got to finish this series, and then we're going to, again, launch into that. Uh, so exciting. going to be awesome. Very, very excited. All right. So we're in fresh start. And I hope you've enjoyed this, this series. We're, this is part three tonight. And uh, we're talking about rebooting our life. All right? Rebooting our life. And we're going through the book of 1 John. And uh, I've really enjoyed this. I've really enjoyed reading all fresh again, just starting through the, the epistle of John, just with a fresh vision and uh, connecting it back to the other writings of John and, and having just gone through the book of Revelation. It just gives such wonderful perspective. And so, man, I'm just feeding on this thing, and I'm really enjoying, you know, giving what God has given to me to you. And uh, so tonight we're going to talk about building confidence in God, building confidence in God. And uh, so I want to talk about confidence before I get into it and just kind of uh, give you the, the four points I'm going to share with you tonight. But let's talk about what confidence is first. What is having confidence in God? And so as I was praying about that, thinking about that, I wrote down a few quick things here. But it answers the question when it comes to confidence in God, is does God love me? Confidence in God's love. Confidence that he loves us, he's for us. And uh, that's a question that we, I think, that deep down in our hearts, we're always asking, is God for me? Is God, does God have a plan for me? But more than just a plan, does he have a good plan for me? I mean, think about that for a minute. You know, we always think about God being like the lion, uh, especially, you know, the lion, the, he, he is a lion after all, like C.S. Lewis says, you know, he's, uh, he's unpredictable. He will do what he wants to do, and, and God can bring punishment, God can do amazing things, but for God's people that we just learned at Christmas time is that God, his favor is resting on his people, and, uh, but having confidence in that, not just knowing it, but almost just settled in kind of a confidence that God loves me, he's for me, he's got a plan for me. And, uh, and so also, can I expect supernatural intervention? going on from that, that he's got a plan for me. But when I think about having confidence in God, I want to know that God is going to chip in, that God's going to jump into my life when things are seeming to get out of control, that I can just stop at that moment and say, God, I need you to intervene right now. I need you to give me peace. I need you to give me perspective. I need you to help me with my own flesh. I need you to help me. I need some supernatural intervention here. I need healing in my body. I need healing in my mind, whatever it might be. That, I think, when we have confidence in God, those questions can be answered. And so we'll come back to that, okay? And maybe we can take a moment to pray for you tonight regarding some of those things. But let's talk about building it because John is going to lead us in this next chapter. Of course, you know that uh, I've already shared some of these things. I'll very, very briefly just say that, that the Apostle John, who, who wrote this letter, it's a circular letter to the churches that he's pastored, uh, the people that he has loved on for so long, that he has taught, that he's laid hands on for them to receive the Holy Spirit, that 
uh, so many things that he has done. And so he's a little disturbed. And so about some of the things that are coming into the church, the lies and the deception. And so we dealt with those pretty, you know, pretty strongly in the first two chapters of, of 1 John. But here we're going to kind of start taking a corner. And he, he keeps kind of reiterating and then building on a little bit more. And so we're going to do a little bit about, of, of that tonight. But I just want to share with you these four points real quickly in how we build confidence in God. And John shares this. Number one, that, and ultimately, it's receiving a calling from God. And these are the, the, the four kinds of callings that, that John is going to be talking about. That we're called to be children of God. That we embrace what it is to be a child of God and why that's important. Number two, we're called to be righteous. We're called to be righteous. We're called to love in action and in truth. And then finally, we are called to walk in, conf- this, walk in this confidence. I just know it, but walk in it. And what does that look like? So let's jump into point one here and building this confidence, as John says. So again, I'm just going to read right from the scripture and, and then we'll comment on it. In 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 3, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, We are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as Christ is pure. So John is introducing this. He's saying, and and it's kind of neat because it matches the way he wrote the letter. He wrote the letter, as I've shared with you before, in a very childlike, simple Greek. And it was interesting when I, when I took Greek many, many years ago that we were, we were all uh, encouraged to translate different parts of the New Testament. And for, in John, the writings of John, especially 1 John, was one of those that were added to our you know, pile of things that we needed to, to work through and translate. And, that was the, and that's the reason why they chose that for us is because it was so very simple. And now you get an understanding as why he did that. He almost, he almost patterned his, this letter to, as if they were children. And that's what he's saying. So he goes, look, I want to let you know that you are children of God. And now it's cool that right out through the rest of the letter, he actually addresses them that way. He's going to call them children. He says, my dear children. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that in, in the other uh, places. But let's think about what being a child is. What is it to be childlike? Now, where did he get this concept? He got it from Jesus. Didn't Jesus say that you were to, we were to approach him with a childlike faith? And that it was the children. He, he, matter of fact, many times he would sit back and say, now look at the children. Let's observe them for a moment. What, 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 is, what is so unusual and unique about being a child? Well, it's the innocence. Well, let's just take a minute to think about that for a moment. The innocence. And, and, and that's what he's kind of calling them to. He said, look, I want to call you back to the simplicity of what having a relationship with God is. The simplicity of just trusting him, loving him. But it is the anchor around us, every one of us, folks. It really is. It is the anchor around our neck that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And what is that? It's the curiosity. It is the wonder. Well, what is it like just outside the garden? And what is it like to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And so 
what we see is John is just saying, look, I'm calling you to, to come back to being childlike, just as you were at the beginning. And yet you have learned so much, and it's a part, and it really is a part of this journey that we're all on. As we grow, there's, there's that initial childlike faith, but yet what can happen is we, we, we begin a little more enamored with the world. Maybe we begin to listen to those lies, we begin to, well, is there something more? And, and it it is in everyone. We, we sense Adam and Eve. We have this bit of brokenness in us. And that is to question. And that is to push and to look and to observe. And it's a curiosity, which, of course, is a wonderful thing when we think of science, when we think of discovery. I think that is God. I mean, I think it's a God thing uh, that to be creators, just like if we're made in his image, well, to create and to discover, it's a wonderful thing. But there's, there's a weakness on the other side of it. And that is that sometimes we use that to begin to question God. And that's what we see happening in the churches here. And John is calling them back to the simplicity of a childlike faith. And what is that? To trust. You know, as a daddy, raising five children, and uh, they're, they're growing up and heading out the door, and I've got you know, two boys still at home and a, and a nine-year-old, nine and, and uh, it's unique how you know, I've raised each of my children in different ways, of course, as a young man and now as an, as an, as an older man. And, uh, but the, one of the things that, 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 that is always my passion is to continue to encourage my children to continue to walk in this innocence, to, to not be so quick to want to learn all that what the world is doing. And yet, as contrasted sometimes to what, to what I hear about parenting, well, they're going to learn it any, you know, sometime. And to, it's almost like in, the, in this world, it's to expose people as quickly as possible to that which is evil and dark and ugly. But that's not good. And I gotta tell you, that's not what the, your heavenly father wants either. And John is saying, look, I know you're curious about this, this Gnostic secret knowledge that is trying to permeate and come into the church, but I'm telling you, it's death. It's gonna hurt you. It's gonna destroy your faith. If you continue to walk in it, it's gonna rob you of that innocence. And... Um, you know, we all think about that. I think that's why when you have children, we go back to enjoying Christmas all over again, you know, as close as we are to it. And uh, I was explaining that to somebody recently that, you know, it's kind of like this, this curve that you used to have so excited about Christmas. And then when, when you were a young adult, when I was a young adult, left home, I had nobody to really share it with. And it was more of a bummer than anything. But as I got married and we started having children, you know, I could begin to enjoy that all again because it could almost rediscover the simplicity, the innocence of what it was to be a child again. We all identify with that. But when you think about your faith in God, that's a very similar track that God is calling us to. That sometimes we just need to stiff arm and walk away from some of the things of this world that might, you know, be the, you know, the shininess of it, the, 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 uh, the excitement of it. And so, but God is calling us back. Simplicity, childlike faith. And ultimately, children want to act like daddy too. And matter of fact, there's an important imprinting that takes place when we see him as our heavenly father. Very important. And that's what John is talking about here when he's talking about Jesus, you know, that Jesus is, um, it was what? He was pure. He was kind, he was loving, he was good. And so he's saying, look, He's just kind of opening the door up to show them that a child is going to want to act like his father. Now, this is all, again, this seems very um, obvious to you, I know. But this is in the face of those who are trying to pull them away 
from the innocence. Pull them away from the simplicity of what the gospel is. And he's saying, look, ultimately what every child wants to do, you know, when things are good, is to act like their father, the imprinting that takes place. And that's exactly the heart of God. God wants to imprint us. God wants to to see us want to be like him. And how do we know what he's like? Well, this is John's whole message. Well, we know what he's like because God sent his son and acted the way he wants us to act. And Jesus said, look, I and my father am one. I am like him, and now I'm going to say something to you. Follow me. I mean, if we were to put it into more words that I think we could understand, it would be act like me, right? It more than just follow me in his track, because literally we can't, you know, I mean, you can go to Israel and follow the, foot, the Via Della Rosa. You can do all that. But that's not what we're really talking about here. We're talking about acting like him. And so, again, John is saying, look, don't listen to those guys because they're going to pull you away from Jesus in, in, in his, in his uh, God-like manner, his, his, his holiness, his purity. Don't listen to that. Don't let it pull you away and start doing things of the world. Don't act like the world. Don't talk like the world. He said that in chapter 2. So again, he's saying, let's go back to childlikeness. And again, Christ was the example. So that's our first calling. And and, and when we embrace this, what it's going to do, folks, is it's going to build a confidence in us. Think about it. I mean, that's what I love about all my children. And and when you, you father well, okay, when you father well, as God does so beautifully, what does that do to children? We know that psych- psychologically, the father's influence has incredible impact on our development. But what does it do? I, I, you know, I've done a lot of study on this and have counseled a lot of young men and men, and I'll tell you what I see lacking in men, the biggest is courage, is courage. And courage is imparted from a father. That's where it comes from. Now, before you all start freaking out here and say, well, I didn't have a father. I mean, it's okay, I understand. I mean, my dad was not the best dad on the planet either. I mean, we all know this. But I'll tell you, where I really got fathered was from him, from my daddy in heaven. As I began to come to him and and say, yeah, you know, Father, I kind of got shortchanged on a lot of things. And as God began to do so many things, to father me well. But if you want him to father you, how do you have to respond to him? To be his child, of course. To be one who's, I mean, I can father my children when they allow me to father them. Think about it. And when they're little, they're looking for it. They're, they're gobbling it up. As you get a little older, you know, it has, you have to work that out. But I, as, as, as adults here, I mean, let's just break this down. We need to really s- submit to our Heavenly Father as if he is our daddy and be childlike. Childlike in the simplicity of our faith. And as we do... The, the, one of, one of the uh, byproducts is going to be a confidence. A confidence. My God has got this. Right? Think about it. My dad's bigger than your dad. Remember? And it, it, it was so funny. I remember thinking of my dad in those di- days as a child, that he could run fast, he was stronger. I don't care if your dad was twice the size of my dad. My dad's still better than your dad. It's just the way it works. Sorry. Just think about that for a minute. When we connect to our Heavenly Father in those ways, it's just like, bring it. My daddy's got, my daddy created everything. I don't know who your dad is. I mean, if, you're, if your dad is the devil, I'm sorry, but he sent his son and whipped your tail on the cross. You've been publicly humiliated. My dad's got this. 
You see what I'm, you see what I'm saying here? This is what John is trying to communicate to, to reconnect them to that childlike faith. Secondly, we're called to be righteous, okay? Now, we'll, we'll look at this. This is, this is different than purity. Let's look at 1 John 3, 7, and 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. He says this over and over again because it's, he's passionate about it. I mean, he's a, he's, he's, he's a big brother. He's a pastor saying, look, you're being deceived. Let them not deceive you. And let's see what he says. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. So we can read between the lines here, and he's already talked about in chapters one and two, that what they're being encouraged to do is to stop all this religious mess, to stop acting Christ-like, that it didn't matter. It doesn't matter to, to do all that. And I tell you what, we see this in the world today. The same spirit is in the world today that, again, I'll just say it again, put it out there, that we continue to talk like Christians but not act like Christians. And he said, it's righteousness is, is, is what is that? That is being right standing with God. That's being, and no, more than anything, that's gonna build a confidence. A confidence in God that God's got my back when I know I am right with him, right? You know what I'm talking about? When you're right with your boss, when you're right with your friend, when everything's good, the, 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 the air is free, the air is clear between you and your friend. When that is not there, what is there? There's a confidence. You walk right up to your friend. You walk right up to your boss. You, you can walk in there. There's not that heaviness on you. There's not that hiddenness. There's not that, that, that little catch in your attitude of how you might respond. Confidence is you're open. See? And he's saying, you know, to get that confidence, you need to get that righteousness. And so he's saying here, little children, notice that's how he addresses them. Let no one deceive you. Practice the righteousness. Verse 8, the one who practices sin is of the devil. Notice what he's doing. Very, I just almost how I would talk to my, my, my little nine-year-old son. Son, that is bad. This is good. See what he's doing here? To act like Jesus is good. To act like the world bad. Let's make this perfectly clear. Let's sort through all the confusion, all the fine-sounding arguments, all the religiosity, all the science, all the popular people who are talking to you and saying, and, and I'm, I'm going to get into your little stuff here, that, that sex outside of marriage is okay, or that using foul language in public is okay, or that you can do all the things that the world is doing, act like the world, talk like the world, lust like the world, see as the world does, and that's okay. No, it's not okay. It isn't. And, it's, and notice here, again, to, and notice that he's not mistreating them regarding the sin. Not at all. He's just, he's just pointing out the fact that it is damaging. It's going, to it's going to destroy one thing, confidence. Confidence to be able to receive from God's hand. God wants to, you know what? When my children disobey, it doesn't make me stop being their daddy. It doesn't even make me stop loving them. Not at all. But will I have more, the, what happens is when that's broken down, what I notice is there's less confidence in them to approach me, to look me in the eye, to, to come to me, you know, with an open countenance. Isn't that interesting? It works the same way with our Heavenly Father. Absolutely. 
those things that we do in darkness, those things that we know that are wrong, we, we may relish them, we may jump into them, but deep, deep inside, it brings conflict to us and it breaks it and destroys our confidence in God. We know we're not acting righteously, which is why we begin to drift. We have marital drift, we have friendship drift, we have God drift. And God drift happens, relationship drift with, with God happens when we are doing some things and we're not keeping short accounts, we're not confessing our sins and letting him who is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from unrighteousness, you know, and to get us right back into righteousness, being in right standing with God. And what's the product of that? Having confidence in God. And to answer all those questions I started with, does God have a good path for me? I can say without question, absolutely. But it's interesting. Isn't that really the litmus test of the soul? Isn't that really the litmus test of the soul? To ask somebody the question, is God for you? And it, does God have a wonderful plan, a good plan for your life? If, you, if, you, if it catches in your throat, if, you can't, if it doesn't come out of your mind with that kind of confidence, uh-oh, the breakdown is not with him. It's not that he doesn't love us. It's not that he doesn't have a plan. It's not any of that. It's what? It's us. It's us. Somehow we violated the innocency of this thing. And, but we got to fix. We already know that. That's already been communicated. John started with that in chapter 1. God will wash us, cleanse us, get us right back on track. But, 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 but this is what's at stake. So the lie is this that Christians can act like everyone else. But we're called to be holy. We're called to be different. We're not, this is not our home. This is, this, we're not of this world. We're in the world to be salt and light, to change it, to transform it by living and following Christ. That's the journey. And this is what John is fighting because he says, I see you guys getting deceived. I see you being drawn in and you're starting to act like everybody else. And, and what they've done is they've dropped into your mind the, the thought that it doesn't matter, that doesn't have consequence and nothing could be further from the truth. To practice sin is to act like our enemy. That's what John said, didn't he? He said, this is what the devil does. And sometimes that's exactly how you have to place it with children, don't you? Look, if you do that, son, you're acting like them. Don't you think that's a bad idea? Oh, yes, sir. You know, sometimes we just need God to break it down for us. Son, if you act like that, you're acting like the one who killed me. You sure you want to be doing that? No, sir. <laughs> Son, if you act like that, or if you, you, man, I could really go off on this one, but I'm going to keep it on the down low here. That's good for you Thursday night folks. I'm getting stirred up here, man. That's good. Didn't happen as much last week. But anyway, I'm getting used to this. Um, we don't want to act like the devil. We don't want to advance his cause. But when we do, and when we support certain things, when we get on Facebook, or when we get on Twitter, or when we get out there, or when, how we live our lives, or some of the comments that we make, gosh, who are we aligning ourselves with? Folks, there is no in-between. We've got God the Father, his Son, the Holy Spirit. We've got his, his, his purpose for mankind, and he is, his, his shoulder is lowered, and he's saying, I'm coming again. Jesus is looking at the Father. Now, not now. Now, not now, but I'm coming. 
And then on the other side, we have Satan who is panicking, is in full out panic. And what he is doing is taking every single one of the, the, the children who are deceived with him into the pit of fire that he knows is coming. He knows it's coming. So we got to think this through a little bit. Do we really want to align ourselves with him in any way, shape, or form? I don't think so. And isn't this a good childlike way to kind of just look at it? Red is red. Green is green. And there are no shades in between. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. We know that. But to save it. But he goes on and says to destroy the works of the enemy. That last part of it. This is why the Son of God was revealed, to destroy the works of the devil. So... (laughs) If Jesus is not only exposing them, he is going to be destroying them. Uh, I don't want my hands on them. I don't want my hands on it. I don't want to be thinking about it. I don't want to be around it when it gets, when, when the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon it. And that's not just going to happen at the end. That happens anytime, of course. And what are the works of the devil that Jesus came to destroy? Well, it's more than just sin. It's the result of sin. Disease. Jesus healed disease, didn't he? Deception, he exposed it. Destruction, destruction of families and individuals. Death in the spirit, the soul, and the body. We spent a whole series talking about that. He came to defeat death. So how did Jesus destroy in the light of what we saw him do? Well, as I said, he healed, he enlightened, he built up, he encouraged, and he resurrected. That's the business we need to be involved in. Little children, do not be deceived. Do not allow yourselves. So when we're talking about rebooting our life, okay, this is very simplistic stuff and stuff you already know. But sometimes we just need to be reminded, don't we? Because we're trying to figure out, why don't I have, why is my relationship with, relationship with God suffering a little bit? Why are, and let's go to the big one. Why aren't my prayers getting answered? Think about that for a moment. Why aren't my pray- Why isn't the computer working? Bam, bam, bam. What's going on here? Used to work. Things used to b- operate well. I used to see my fan- finances, you know, working well. I used to see relationships happen. I used to see, you know, favor in front of me. I-, I don't see it so much right now. What's going on? Time to reboot. Time to remember. Time to get on the right side. Thirdly, we're called to love in action and in truth. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know what love is. John is going down and saying, okay, look, let's let's talk about what love is. And this is agape, right? We've used that word already. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Uh, Bruce was talking about that, wasn't he? He was talking about the context of money, but it's, it's, it's the same principle that applies to all of our life. And that is, God has given us everything. And now we're to give it. We're to give. We're to be givers. And, and, and so now he's going to press us a little deeper here. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, verse 17. And if anyone with early, earthly possessions sees his brother in need, but withholds his compassion from him, how can the love of God abide in him? I can see clearly what's going on here. The church be punched out strong with benevolent activity. We know that in the book of Acts, that, that the church, what did they do? They shared everything in common. We know that in the first, first two or three chapters. 
what I see here, John is saying is, oh, you guys are falling away from that too. You're not caring for one another like you used to care for one another. You have pulled away and not only have it deceived you in one area, but now it's deceiving you and that you're not, you're not even taking care of one another. You're, you're not walking in your belief. So he's, he's calling it out. But withholds his possessions and he goes on and says, how can the love of God abide in him if he's not being compassionate. Verse 18, little children, here he says it again, let us not love in word and speech, but in action and in truth. Now this is almost has a John, uh, book of James feel to it, doesn't it? Kind of that emphasis on works over just faith. But you know, but this is good. This is John calling it out to say, look, don't just talk about it. Don't just talk about it, but it's in the doing that really it all comes together, and it's in the doing that brings the greatest confidence. Is it not? Am I telling you the truth here? We all know what it's like. You, I, I mean, I've seen this over again. I've experienced it, and I've seen it in your eyes too, that when you do something for God, when you, when you follow through, when you serve out there and, hand, you know, and help people and greet them when they come, when you serve in the children's ministry, when, you, when you, you're doing different things, I look in your eyes and I see that, that countenance of, that was good. I feel good because I just did something for the kingdom. And what it does, it rises up in a confidence on the inside. Because what? You did something. And, and, and so really that's a challenge to every one of us. And this is what John is saying. He's calling to them to say, look, you guys have kind of drifted here a little bit. And now you're, 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 you're still talking about a relationship with Jesus. And you're, I see you devolving into what eventually does in the second, third, and fourth century church. Begins to devolve into just religiousness. And uh, because that's exactly what the enemy wanted to do. He couldn't keep them from talking about Jesus, but he could certainly keep them from being and acting like Jesus. And we have the same spirit today. We know what that spirit's called. We talked about it last week. It is an antichrist spirit, ultimately stripping us of the reality of a true faith. But we're headed for confidence. What we want today is confidence. And how do we get it? By putting feet to our faith. John calls out one aspect of this whole thing, and that's just to, to caring for one another. And, and it's legitimate. We should. You know, we live in one of the richest countries on the planet, envied by the whole world, so much so they're trying to get in it. And so that's a blessing. And so, so many of the things that John had to experience in, in that time were not having to experience. But the reality is there are still people that suffer in more ways than just in physical ways, Right? that we could take some time out to pray for someone, that we could take some time out. And, and of course, many different financial things that we could do to, to care for people. But to just have compassion, period, and let that compassion come out in some way. We're getting ready to sm start small groups. We're getting ready to, to talk about forward here very soon. And I want to encourage you to jump on board because it is going to mean a whole lot more to others out there than it will to you. And it, you know what, what that's going to do? It's a win, man. It's a huge win. It's going to leave us with such incredible confidence, it's going to impact the rest of your life. Well, tithing does the same thing. Anything you do in obedience to God produces a great confidence, which then replicates itself with a greater confidence in going to him and keep asking. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. That's how it happens. It's how it works. So refusing to love in action is revealing of the heart. It really is. 
God's love is simply not there, and that's what John is calling out. He goes on and he says, but who withholds his compassion from him? How can they love the love of God and abide in him? Little children, let us love not in word and speech, but in action. We are called to be like Jesus in heart and action, and therein is the key, isn't it? Like Jesus, both in passion, purpose, but in action. And this is where I think we are, people. This is where we are as a church. And if we're going to impact this world at all, this world that is hell-bent on, on creating another Tower of Babel here, to create another utopia, another heaven on earth, which has been tried many, many times before, peeps. I'm telling you right now, it has. And it ends disastrously. And it's here again. And here it is. Only now it's using technology, it's using the internet, it's using whatever. And do you notice what the, what the result is, the fruit is? The dehumanizing of people? I mean, just watch it. It's destroying us. All in the name of improving. But the further we get away from God, the more it, it destroys us. It's ugly. We can change it. Christ changes our hearts as we choose to follow him. And this is the work of one, the only, the only one who can do this in us, and that is the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about this righteousness, and when we talk about walking in this action and in truth, here, here, here's the thing that Jesus prayed for. This is what Jesus then sent the Holy Spirit to do, is to take our faith and then give us the Holy Spirit who will help us with the action. That's good, isn't it? Because I know we're all sitting here, and, and, we're, and you're probably doing what, what, what I did when I first read it, and that is to say, man, I'm not doing enough. I'm just not doing enough. And man, I had a real attitude the other day, or, or I mean, you just, it starts to kind of pile up on you. But here's the cool thing. The Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts, and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Matter of fact, that's what Romans 5, 5 says. That the love, this is a great verse, Romans 5, 5. The love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by who? The Holy Spirit. So, not feeling the, feeling the love? Ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. That's how we get there, because you can't generate it on your own. We just can't. There's just too many hurdles to climb. How do we love the unlovable? How do we love people that in the natural, we just can't really get all that excited about. <laughs> Come on. How do we get there? The Holy Spirit does it. And when he asks the Holy Spirit to come, there's an education that goes on. There's a stirring up of our heart that goes on. There is a, um, an, an, an impressing upon our heart. I mean, you know, it, it, it's very similar to one of those moments that just surprises you that this compassion comes over you and just, oh, well, I wasn't expecting that. Maybe you experienced it in a movie or whatever it was. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit is doing that all the time. And if we ask him to come to tenderize our heart, to open our heart, to help us to go from just belief to action, that's his job. That is his job. And as a result of that, what is it? Confidence. Once again, the Holy Spirit is the greatest confidence builder. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, it talks about the Holy Spirit being like wine. And, you know, I'm not saying anything to connection, but just 
what is wine in their, in their observation with the analogy was that it would bring joy. It would bring a sense of, of, of just, I don't care about anything else. And the Holy Spirit provides that kind of euphoria that, man, I'm good. God's got my back. And I am right with him. And it's good stuff. Finally, the last point here. We're called to walk in confidence in God. We're called to walk in this confidence. 1 John 3, 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart, notice he's not calling them children now because now he's bringing it now. Now he's calling them up. He's getting to his point. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. That's how we get it. How do we get past the heart, our heart condemning us? Well, it's the Holy Spirit coming and drawing us out. It's the Holy Spirit helping us to act and, and, and act like Jesus. It's, it's, it's acting like a child and going back to that innocency, that complete trust. And, and, and you know, uh, more than trust, it's just like I can't live or breathe without you. You are the vine. I am the branch. I in no way, shape, or form can, can sustain or do anything in this life without you. And, and can I challenge you? Is that your belief? I mean, is that your belief? Are you there? If you're not there, it's okay. I mean, nobody's here to, you know, again, to condemn you. But John is bringing that out. He says, if your heart condemns you, it's because you're not connected to him. Because condemnation has nothing to do with God. Didn't Paul bring that out? Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. And how do we get in Christ Jesus? Following him, trusting him, staying heel-toe with him, talking to him, staying connected as our vine. If your hearts don't connect, uh, condemn you, we have confidence before God, and we will receive from him whatever we ask. Uh-huh. Now we get to the practical side of this thing. I hate to say it, but it's like I know what you're all asking. What it's in, what's in it for me? Well, I'll tell you what's in it for you. What does a good father want to do? He wants to take care of his kids. He wants to make sure they have what they need. He wants to make sure of that. That's what a good, good father does. And when we have confidence in that, again, it's, it, it's never the blockage from him down. It's us. We're not there on Christmas Day to open up the gifts that he's, he's bought for us. But we have confidence. We are there. We're ready to receive it. And that's what, he, that's what John is saying here. We will receive whatever we ask for. He goes on, and he's going to develop on this throughout. And that's going to kind of be the crescendo, but I don't want to spoil it. Because we keep his commandments and do what is pleasing in his, high, in his sight. Our hearts will only condemn us if we are deceived or ignoring the truth by not walking in the commands of Christ, to love God with everything that we have and to love our brothers and sisters with deeds. You notice that John has just painted all around the great commandment. That's exactly what he's done here. Trust the Father like a child, loving God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then loving people like yourself. Well, what is loving people like yourself? It's doing something for them, right? It's doing something for them. It's loving action. So John is taking the law of Christ and he's breaking it down as he would to a child and say, this is how it happens. This is how it works. And what is the, what, what is the byproduct? A confidence. And in more than just a confidence, now we can come to him and ask for whatever we need. 
but it's at the end of the line. It's, it's what has to come first here, and that is important, that this equation, if you want to look at it that way, has to lay out this way for in, order, in order for it to work. Trust the Father, love your brother, then ask, because now you can confidently do so. That is what John is trying to show him. And he's saying, look, you're going to forfeit all of that. You're going to throw that all to the wind. You're going to miss out what God, what Jesus died for you to have. And, 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 and he, he, you can see, he said, don't do that. What we do with our actions does count. Unlike the lies told to the church then and now. What is the world saying today? That we can do whatever we want. That, that more and more every single day that there is no accountability. There is no real justice for morality. That morality is being re-questioned, redefined. That up is down and that which is evil is now good and that which is good is now evil. It's all, it's all happening right in front of us. And where do we stand? We cannot believe those lies. Our prayers will be answered as a result of a confidence that is based on faith in Christ. And this faith is confirmed by faithful actions, obedience to the Heavenly Father, loving words out of our mouths, and of course, loving actions. Because John wasn't saying that you can't love. He was saying not just don't love other people with just words. Now, we've got to love people with words too, don't we? We know that. But ultimately, what is obedience? Loving words and loving actions. What is that? It's being like Jesus. Isn't that what he did? Obedient to the Father. Loving words. Come, bring the children to me. My Father loves you. Be healed. All the different things that Jesus spoke and said and confirmed. Loving, loving, loving. And then ultimately, loving actions. He fed them. He cared for them. He healed every sickness and disease. That's our journey. That's what we're headed for. That's what we're supposed to be acting like. And what will that do? Embracing our calling, all four of these callings, will build confidence in God, which produces a greater faith, a daily peace. You know, because see, look, before I move on uh, and to finish, because I'm closing up here. For 2019, I want to challenge you to get out of your comfort zone and, and, and do something bigger. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to ask for something greater. Maybe you've never experienced a certain kind of miracle or supernatural thing. Maybe you've never even heard the voice of God. I find many, many people, that, that uh, Christians, who, well, you know what? I hear about people talking to God and hearing God's voice, but I don't think I ever have. Let this be your year. Maybe you've never had a financial miracle. Maybe you've never had or laid hands on somebody and see them recover. Maybe, maybe there was, you've never experienced certain things in your life. I want to challenge you that this is a year that you ask God for more, that you grow in your own personal confidence, and then you ask for more. You ask not more for yourself, but more, and it might involve yourself, but more for what God wants to do through you as a result of obedience to him. And then, so greater faith, daily peace. Man, confidence of God, daily peace. To know that I can wake up in the morning, I don't care whether I live or die. You fear death? I hope you don't. Christian, you shouldn't fear death. 
And yet I see so many people wringing their hands about it. You know, I, I mean, I understand. I know what it is to, to fear when, when, you've, when you've got a, a, a test or something that has happened in your body or, or something like that. I mean, I know what it is to fear that, but it's swallowed up in victory and peace just comes to say, you know what? It's going to be good. Because, you know, whether I, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm not going to. Daily peace for everything, whether it be for your life or death or whether it be to your supply of how God's going to care for you. Man, confidence in God, that's what it's going to do. That's what's going to spill out into your life. So by being obedient to the Father, by walking like Jesus did, it's not just being religious. It's not just trying to act like a Christian and, and show off. It's not any of that. It is going to have a direct impact on your life. Every one of us wants greater joy. We need greater peace. We want more answers to prayer. We want miracles in our life. This is how it happens. Right here. So embracing our calling builds a confidence in God which produces a greater faith, a daily peace, and awesome answers to prayer over and over again. I enjoyed writing that because I know it's absolutely true. Over and over and over again to where after, after a while you just start laughing. I love people when they come up to me and they tell me these miracle stories. I laugh. And they kind of look at me sometimes. What are you laughing about? It's because I see this over and over again. I love it. I'm rejoicing with you. I'm laughing because I'm going, God is doing it again. And I'm happy for you. And the truth is, God wants to, God wants to, to, to let this be a regular occurrence in your life. Is that something that you want, brothers and sisters? Amen. Let's stand up tonight.